Well, to echo what Joe said, we want to say happy Mother's Day to the moms and to the grandmas. And we also just want to celebrate the sisters and the aunts and the cousins and just the amazing women that God brings into our lives. I, I think today is really a celebration of all of the wonderful ladies that God brings into each of our lives. Some of those are teachers, some of those are neighbors, some of those are friends and moms and grandmas. So we just want to say thank you to all of the wonderful women who always love us and influence us. And, and today's the day that we want to show that love and appreciation and, and, and we want to give them something as a token of our love. And um, maybe you've gotten that gift taken care of. Maybe you haven't. If you haven't, I am here to help you. I've got, I've got you covered. I, I see some, some hands kind of going up like, oh, that was today. So I, I've got a few things that, you know what, if you've got a minute and a couple of bucks, you can go out and, and make, make that day special. So how about this? Why don't you look to give your mom the Chartwell Estate? It's only $350 million. I think we've got the wrong one up. $350 million, and it's in Bel Air. So it's a nice neighborhood. It's 25,000 square feet, has a ballroom and a formal salon. So that, that may be an option. If that's not your style, but you like Bel Air, let's go to the spec house. That's only $250 million, a little bigger, 38,000 square feet, a huge glass candy wall, and it has a four-lane bowling alley. So that, that may be on your list. So you may want to take a look at that. Now, how about this one? How about a $200 million home? If it looks familiar, Aaron Spelling. This is Aaron Spelling's old house. It has only 14 bedrooms and 27 bathrooms. Can you, I can't even clean one bathroom. I don't even clean one bathroom. 27 bathrooms. Has 123 rooms in all. So you may want to go ahead and get that, but you can't ask your mom to clean that one. Maybe you like the water, right? You want to be on the water? We got you covered here. How about this 175 million, 63 acre waterfront property off of Manhattan? You could have it. Go right into the city, come out beyond the island. Now, if you're like me and uh, you, you like the, the outdoors and you want to go out west, I know my wife would love this house. How about the West Creek Ranch? It's only $149 million. You get 7,000 acres, a two-level circular stone library and helipad, because who doesn't need a helipad these days? And so you can have that one. And lastly, if all of this seems just too expensive for you, then let's bring it back down to a cool 90 million. And from the Brookline Estate, eight bedrooms, 12 bathrooms, 26,000 square feet, right there on the East Coast off of New York. So guys, now you are set. You know what you can get, that special lady in your life. Now, if you're looking at these, one of the things that you probably ask yourself is, how do I qualify to get that house? I mean, you, you may want to give that house to that special lady, but you have to qualify. I think if we pulled all of our money together, maybe we get one of those bathrooms. That may be about what we could get, right? Because no matter what you want, and no matter how bad you want it, you have to qualify in order to get into that house. But have you ever asked the question, what do I have to do to dwell in the house of the Lord? What is it that I need to do to dwell in God's house? That's a question that we see in Psalm 15. That's the question that David asked, what must I do to dwell in the house of the Lord? And so we're going to take a look at Psalm 15. I hope that you are reading along with our daily devotional, our summer in the Psalms, just great stuff. And we're going to continue to, to study the Psalms. But it's important that we understand 
what David is, is talking about here. This is kind of a liturgical psalm. There's different types of psalms. This was one that was taught to worshipers before they came in to worship God. So before you could enter the temple, this was a song that you were taught. And either you would ask this question, Lord, what must I do to dwell in your presence? Or the priests would ask that question. And, and what we see here is that David kind of lays out almost a top ten list of what does it take to qualify to be in the presence of God and to worship God. What does that look like? And we're going to go through this, but it really breaks down into, I think, two categories. Our words and our actions. And it's not our words and our actions towards God. It's our words and our action towards each other. Because what God is saying here, if you want to be in my presence, if you want to dwell in my house, I want to see how you are speaking to and of and interacting with other people. And so that's what we're going to take a look at. So Psalm 15 says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongues utter no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despise a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. Right off in verse 1, the question comes, what must I do to dwell in your sacred tent? Now, we see the word sacred tent. We see the word holy mountain. All of those represent the presence of God. Remember, God was with his people in the desert in the tabernacle in the tent. All of these things represent God's presence. The temple was on the holy hill. And so the worshipers are asking, or the priests are asking the worshipers, what do you think it takes to be in the presence of God? What do you have to do? What do you have to make sure you're not doing to dwell in God's presence? We could want any one of those houses. We could say, I'm a good person. I'm a nice person. I would really take care of it. But the realtor is going to say, you need to make sure you're qualified to purchase this house. So what, what we're seeing here is here are the qualifications to dwell in God's house. And the first is really dealing with our words. It says this, speaks the truth from their heart. We are called to speak the truth to one another. We are called to, to have those hard conversations with one another, but we're called to do them in love. See, it's not what we say, it's how we say it. That's the real difference. And what, what, what David is saying is we need to speak the truth. It's never about not telling the truth, but how do we say that truth? Do we say it lovingly or do we say it condemningly or with anger or with malice? But we're called to speak the truth in love. Listen to what these texts tell us here in Zechariah 8, 16 through 17. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against your neighbor and do not love to swear falsely. I hate all of this, declares the Lord. God hates when we speak negatively and ill of and to other people. God doesn't like that. But yet, when we look on social media, what do we see? When we look at email, what do we read? People can be so mean about people they don't even know. And sometimes it's people they do know. And God 
hates that. God doesn't like when we speak negatively or nasty to and of people. Listen to what it says here in Ephesians 4. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. See, what happens is when we don't speak truth and love and kindness to one another, we build up resentment. And what happens when we build that resentment, it festers. And when it festers, the devil gets a foothold in our heart. The devil gets a foothold in our relationships. And then the devil gets a foothold in the church. That's what happens if we don't truthfully and lovingly sit down with somebody and say, here's what's happening in my heart in our relationship. See, if we want to dwell in the house of the Lord, we have to show that we can speak kindly to and of other people. But sometimes we don't do that. See, our default position in our culture is slander, right? It's absolute slander. There's some elections that are kind of coming up. And if you ever see these election ads, I mean, they make the person that they're running against sound like they are the worst person that has ever been created in the history of the world. You can't vote for them, right? We, we live in a culture, turn on your evening news, and whatever your beliefs are, all the talking heads do is slander the other people. That's all we do. All we do is tear people down. But words matter to God. Words have weight. Words, have you ever had somebody tell you something encouraging, how it just picks you up? How it just makes you feel so good? And have you ever had somebody kind of really say something negative or nasty about you and how that can just tear you down? Words have weight. Words matter. And words are important to God. And the way that we use our words impact the kingdom. And God says, how can you come in and praise me with words while we're condemning everybody else? So he does not like slander. It says this in James. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment of it. When, when we start to slander one another, and we sometimes think of that word in legal terms, but it's really in our everyday life, how we speak about people, how we speak to people, that what we're saying is, God, I know more than you. That's a hard thing to, to accept. That when we start to slander people, what we're saying is, God, I'm a better judge of them and their heart than you are. So we are sitting in judgment of God when we actually say, I'm going to tear this person apart because I don't like this, that, or the other thing about them. God does not like those things. Look, the reality is we're not all going to see things the same way. The reality is we're going to have difference of opinions of people. The, the reality is sometimes we're going to say things that we don't realize hurt people. It happens. So what do we do? Well, God gives us a way that we are to handle this so that we can use our words the right way. There are a lot of versions of the Bible. One of the versions I think is really good is Eugene Peterson's. It's called The Message. It, it kind of really just says it in, in layman's terms. And what Eugene Peterson writes in Matthew 18 is really helpful on how we can speak to one another in a way that glorifies God. Here's how Eugene Peterson says this. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. 
God wants us to use our words to build each other up, to be kind to each other. And that means we have to go to the person that maybe has hurt us or that we disagree with and say, hey, let's talk this out. Let's work this out to glorify God. It's not about right and wrong. It's about glorifying God. If that doesn't work, bring somebody else with you to say, let's work together. And if that doesn't work, try it again. But we don't do that. Typically, when somebody hurts us, we don't tell them. We tell everybody else. And we tell them how everybody else should be on our side. And we never go to that person and say, hey, can I talk to you? Here's my heart right now. And let's work it out. Our words matter. If we want to dwell in the house of the Lord, we have to be able to work things out with other people. That's important to God. Words and how we use them matter to God. What's also important is our word. Our word is important. There are some of us in this room that remember the days before contracts and lawyers where you could just say to somebody, I'll sell you this for this price and it was good enough. We've kind of grown up with the phrase, your word is your bond and my lawyer will be in touch. But shouldn't, as followers of Jesus Christ, shouldn't our word be our bond? Shouldn't it be that way? And see, what Scripture teaches us is that our word matters to God. And as followers of Christ, we need to be different than the rest of the world. That if we say something, people can count on it. Listen to what Jesus says here in Matthew 5. Again, you've heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Our word matters to God. That when we say, yes, I'll do it, that matters to God. When we say, no, I won't do it, that's God, that matters to God. We take oaths all the time in this country. We take oaths for our, our political folks. We take oaths when we get married. We take oaths if you're in scouting. We take oaths all over the place. And yet, how often do we see followers of Christ not living up to those oaths? And if we want to be in the presence of God, if we want to dwell in the house of God, what David is saying is our words matter and our word matters. It really matters to God. How we speak to each other, how we speak about each other, and when we give our word is our yes, yes, and is our no, no, because that matters to God. So here's three questions, and these are hard questions. Hard question to ask ourselves. Will we speak the truth in love to one another? That doesn't mean we sugarcoat it, but we speak lovingly and kindly to one another. Number two, or are we just going to slander one another? Are we just going to say negative things about each other, whether that's on social media, whether that's behind people's back, or are we going to do that? And number three, will we keep our word, oaths, even when it's hard? Do you know it's easy to keep your word when it doesn't cost you anything? It's easy. But when it costs you everything, it's hard. I think of our brother Andrew Brunson. He is in a prison in Turkey. He has kept his oath to serve the people of Turkey faithfully for years. And he had another court date this year, and the judge dismissed his witnesses and put him back in jail until July. And then the president called for a special election before the date. It is hard for him to keep his oath 
of serving the people of Turkey, but he's doing it. Our word matters to God. Now, the second part that David lays out is not just our words, but it is our actions. I want to read to you what it says in Matthew 12. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, we hear this, you can say, you know what? I think I got half of that pretty good. I can love God. I love God. We just, we just sang some wonderful songs talking about how much we love God, how much we praise God, right? That part we get. It's the loving thy neighbor part uh, gets a little worky, right? You say, well, you don't know my neighbor. You don't know my coworker. You don't know my classmate. You don't know my family member. But here's what it is. We've got to love our neighbor. And our neighbor is not the person that is physically next to you in your house. It is, but it's anybody in your world. Our actions and our attitudes towards other people, that matters to God. If we want to dwell in the house of the Lord, God is saying, not only do you need to speak kindly to and of people, not only do you need to keep your word, but what are your actions and attitudes towards other people? And that is really hard. It's unbelievably hard. And we read here of what it says is that we need to understand that we need to do two things. One, we need to despise sin and we need to honor our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we have a sin problem in our culture, and that's that we don't think we have a sin problem in our culture. We celebrate sin. We promote sin. We, we have absolutely, we love when people thumb their nose at God. We call it, well, that's their, their right, that's their freedom, that's their this, that's their that. But we are celebrating sin. And what, what David is saying is if you want to be in the presence of God, we have to hate sin and its consequences. Now, there's a difference between hating sin and the sinner. Don't miss that. We should never hate a sinner, because guess what? We're sinners, every one of us. But we should hate what sin does to people. We should hate what sin does to relationships. We should hate what sin does to our culture. But we should never hate people, but we should hate sin. And that's what David is saying. We need to despise the sin and its consequences in our world. And then we need to celebrate our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are so grateful that we've got people that we can worship with, that we can pray with, that can pray for us, that we can walk with. We need to celebrate that we are not alone in this world. That if we've lost people we love, God provides other people to step in and be there for us today. How many, how many women have stepped into the role of being a mother for someone who lost their mother or who doesn't have a mother? How many women have stepped in and mentored young girls in school and in scouting and in sports? We need to celebrate that we have people that are willing to follow Christ and to love other people. But we need to despise sin. And we need to treat people better than the world treats them. What David lays out here is an object lesson and he just chooses money, right? Because money is always a hot topic. And, and David's very clear here. And he says, whoever lends money to the poor without interest does not accept a bribe against the innocent. And basically, money is not the issue here. The issue is, how are you going to treat people? And specifically, that will you lend money to those in need, the poor, the needy, and say, we're good, or are you going to try to make some money and garner interest in it? And so it says this. If you lend money in Exodus 22, if you lend money to one of my people among you is needy, do not be like a money lender, charge him no interest. 
and in Deuteronomy 23, 19, do not charge your brother interest, whether on money or food or anything else that may earn interest. It's just how are we going to treat each other? We need to treat each other different than the world. It says than money lenders. The world says, hey, if somebody's mean to you, you should be mean back. If somebody says something hurtful about you, you should say something hurtful back. That's not what we're called to do if we want to be in the presence of God. We're called to be different. We're called to speak differently, have a different attitude, have different actions. And that is so hard. It's incredibly hard, but it's what we're called to. So let's, let's pause for one second. And let's, let me just say this to you. This is really hard, and let's keep it real. It's unrealistic. There's no way. There's no way that you and I, because the question is asked, Lord, who may dwell in the sacred tent? Who may live in your holy mountain? Great, that's a great question. But here are the qualifications. Those whose walk is blameless. I failed that. Who does what is righteous. I failed that. Who speaks the truth from the heart. I failed that. Whose tongue utters no slander. I failed that. Who does no wrong to a neighbor. Failed that. Cast no slurs on others. Failed that. Who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord. I have failed that. Who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. I have failed that. Who lends money to the poor without interest. Who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. All right, I've never done that. I, I can say I'm somewhat confident on that. But the object lesson is, have I treated people poorly? Yes, I have failed that. I failed all those things. And so what should come to me? Listen to what it says in Isaiah. This is what the people of God knew was coming. The sinners in Zion are terrified, trembling, grips in the godless. Who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with the everlasting burning? He who walks righteously and speaks what is right who rejects gain from extortion and keeps his hand from accepting bribes, who stops his ears against plots of murder and shuts his eyes against contemplating evil. This is the man who will dwell on the heights, whose refuge will be the mountain fortress. His bread will be supplied and water will not fail him. People of God have asked this question, and you know what the answer is? You know how we dwell in the house of the Lord? Jesus. That's the only way. We cannot be blameless. We cannot keep all of these things perfectly. We must strive to do it. We must make every effort in our power to speak kindly to and about each other. We must let our yes be yes and our no be no. Our actions and our attitude towards people must glorify God. But at the end of the day, what gets us into the dwelling house of the Lord is Jesus Christ. Because he did keep these perfectly. What David is pointing us to is Jesus Jesus gives us access to dwell in the house of the Lord. Nothing else does. Not good works, not morality, not religion. Jesus gives us access to dwell in the house of the Lord. Jesus is what qualifies you and I to be in the house of the Lord. Nothing else. So by putting our faith in Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be able to do these things. But if we choose not to do them, or not to ask God to help us do them, then what does it mean about us? It means that we think we can just dwell in the house of the Lord based on what? Our good looks, our morality, our religion, our niceness. Look, I could go up to any one of those homes that are for sale and say, look, I'm a really nice person. Okay, I'm even a pastor, discount time, right? I, I can come in, right? Don't I qualify for this? And they'll say, that is awesome. Uh, how much money can you put down? About a buck twenty-five. Can I get in? And they'll say no. 
you're wonderful, you're nice, we love what you do, but you don't qualify to get in this house. And just because you want it, just because you think you deserve it, doesn't mean you're going to get it. Here are the qualifications. I want, to, I want to break this down for you and put these slides up. Here are the must-have qualifications to dwell in the house of the Lord. Have a blameless walk, that's only through Jesus. Do what is right, that's knowing God's word. Speak the truth from your heart to people, but do it kindly. Despise vile men, sin, don't celebrate sin. Honor those who fear the Lord, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and keep your word even when it hurts. Here's things you can't have. You want to dwell in the house of God. You can't have slander on your tongue for other people. You can't do wrong to other people as a neighbor. You can't cast slurs on other people. You can't lend money and extract interest from other people. And you can't accept a bribe and speak against the innocent. The only way you and I will gain access to dwell in the house of the Lord is through Jesus. And the only way that we can tell that we're truly have accepted Jesus in our heart is by using this metric that David lays out. How do we speak to one another? How do we speak about one another? Is our word our bond? What is our attitude and our actions? See, if we want to dwell in the house of the Lord, just because we want to doesn't mean we get to. We have to understand what is expected of us. I'm going to ask our music ministry to, to come back up. And, and I just I want to encourage you just to think about it. What did you have to do to live in the house you're in. Maybe you're in a house, an apartment, maybe you own, maybe you rent, I don't know. But there were some qualifications. And you know what? If you say, I want to live in the house of the Lord, here's the good news. You can pre-qualify today by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You can pre-qualify and say, I know that one day I will dwell in the house of the Lord. It will be streets of gold. It will be amazing. We must understand what God has called us to and called us from.